Well, good morning again. You're doing well? You're doing well? Good. I want you to take your uh, Bibles or your devices, whatever, and turn to Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 to 16. And uh, we've been roaming around in Jonah for the uh, last few Sundays, and we got one more next week, and then we'll move on. Uh, But let's stand together, and we have a long text. We have a long text today, uh, 16 verses. I am going to read the blue, and uh, you're going to read the white. Here it is. And this is what it says. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call it against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Of the Lord. Of the Lord. Ah, it's your turn. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come up upon us. And so they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where did you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea seized from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. It's quite a text, isn't it? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you again for your love that you have demonstrated so extravagantly and generously in, through, and as Jesus Christ. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that takes what you have accomplished 
and you've afforded in Christ and makes it available and applicable to each of our lives. And so we ask now that you would give us a voice to speak, ears to hear, hearts to understand, minds to comprehend, and particularly, Lord, as we go out from this place, that we may demonstrate what it means to be followers of Jesus Christ in meaningful, tangible ways, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, at work, at school, where we receive our services. And so, Father, we ask this today in Christ's name and for his name's sake. Amen. You may be seated. Now, most of us probably know that there are people who claim that the Jonah and the whale story is simply not true, that it did not happen. They say at best it's a parable, and at worst it's just a myth. Some say it really didn't happen because basically it's impossible. Well, just wait a minute. In February 1891, the whaling ship, the Star of the East, was whale hunting off the Falkland Islands in the South Atlantic And they were pursuing a large sperm whale, and they launched two boats out to hunt this whale and to get this whale. But sadly, one of the boats that they launched capsized, and two of the fishermen were actually drowned. James Bartley was one of those fishermen. And so the crew mourned their loss, but they had to attend to their catch. And so they worked until midnight extracting the whale meat and the blubber from this 80-foot, 80-ton whale. The next morning, they hoisted the whale's stomach up on the deck of the ship, and they noticed some faint movement. And the science editor who was on the ship and who was um, a part of the investigation, in the, and he wrote it up in, the, uh, in a... Um, a newspaper called the Journal of Debates, which was popular in those times, and he verified that James Bartley was unconscious and that they bathed him in seawater and they laid him in the captain's quarters for two weeks. And after two weeks, he was still confused and mentally disturbed. Two weeks later, actually, he sort of made a full recovery and began to recount his experience. And for the rest of his life, he carried the scars of a bleached white face, neck, hands from the whale's gastric acid. Now that story is on the internet, so it has to be true. (laughs) But let's get to our text. Now the first thing that we're told in our text is that the word of the Lord came to Jonah. And he was in conflict. Now, I want to draw your attention to three words and three statements, or three statements that are repeated several times in the text that we just read. The first word is Tarshish. Now, Tarshish is repeated three times in the first three verses. And the question is, why? Why Tarshish? Well, first of all, Tarshish is the exact opposite of Nineveh. Tarshish is either Gibraltar or Spain. 
And Jonah gets the word to go to Nineveh, but he heads in the opposite direction. You see, why Tarshish? Eugene Peterson said, because Tarshish is more exciting than Nineveh. Going and preaching to Nineveh was not exactly a coveted assignment. But Tarshish, Tarshish was something else. Tarshish was completely different. Tarshish was exotic. Tarshish was adventurous. Tarshish was, in the Bible, is a distant paradise. We are actually told in 1 Kings 10, 22, that in the time of King Solomon, once every three years, fleets of ships of Tarshish used to come bringing gold, silver, ivory, apes, and peacocks. Now, the second statement that is repeated over and over again, actually three times in our text, is this, but Jonah rose to flee from the presence of the Lord. Now, just in case we missed the point and we missed the irony, the phrase is repeated twice in Verse 3, it starts and ends the verse, and it's repeated again in verse 5. Now, presence, or the presence of God, in Hebrew, literally means face. And, of course, the face represents intimacy and closeness. One of the first things that we focus on in life is the face of our parents. And it's by looking up into the face of our parents that we actually know ourselves as ourselves. It is by looking up into the face of our parents that we actually learn our place in the world. And it is by looking up into the face of our parents that we acquire trust, and affection. And the same is true with God's face, or it's intended to be. But the face also speaks of honesty and vulnerability. Exodus chapter 33 verse 11 says that the Lord spoke to, or God spoke to Moses face to face as one man speaks to his friend. Now, I think we've all learned that not everybody is prepared to be vulnerable and honest before God. Somebody cutely said that children are afraid of the dark, but men and women are afraid of the light. But there's a question here. Why would anybody want to flee from the face of God? Why would anybody want to flee from the presence of God? Well, ironically, is that we have been doing it ever since Adam and Eve. 
There's a text in Genesis, and it says this in Genesis 3.8. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Now, the inference here is that this is what God did every day. That our first parents, Adam and Eve, had this level of intimacy with God. But after the apple incident, we get this. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the cool in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And we have been doing that ever since this time. In your notes, I've given you the poem by William Henley called Invictus. And I don't think we need to read the entire poem, but I think maybe the last stanza will make the point for us. And the point is simply this. It says this, and he sort of immortalizes these words that we have been running from we have been running from God or fleeing the presence of God or the face of God ever since Adam and Eve. The last stanza says, It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate, I am the captain of my soul. No. No. I am not. No, you are not. No, we are not. And then there's this. Jonah went down to Joppa, and he was in control. Now, if you'll notice that Jonah does not exactly simply ignore God. God's word is, Jonah, arise and go to Nineveh, and and, and Jonah goes. He doesn't just hunker down and do nothing. He goes. There is a, a sort of an act of obedience of sorts, but he chooses the destination, Tarshish. You see, Jonah is the faithful prophet of God as long as God wants what Jonah wanted. Again, Eugene Peterson says that when we are like this, when we are like Jonah, going in the opposite direction, he says we become self-defined Christians. Not biblically defined Christians, not God-defined Christians, we become self-defined Christians. We want to be followers of Christ, and we want to be his disciples. We want to be Christians, but we want it our way. And when we go to Tarshish, we go our own way, we can be self-defining Christians. And then we don't have to deal with God. Now, folks, there are many ways to be religious without submitting to Jesus' leadership and lordship. Being a God-defined Christian 
is not glamorous. And Tarsus is a lie. This brings us then to our third word that appears several times in our text. Four times, in fact. We read it twice in verse 3. We read it two more times in verse 5, and the word is down. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh. But Jonah went down. And this pattern of down begins to emerge as we move forward into the text. And you'll see what I mean in just a moment. We are going to call this the direction of disobedience or of distraction or desolation. And the direction of disobedience is always down. It is seldom, if ever, up. You see, Jonah may be finished with God, but God is not finished with him. And then we come to the second part of verse 3. And we still see Jonah continuing down this downward direction of disobedience. But there's also this. Now, Jonah is presented to us as a person who is self-willed and self-determined with a take-charge disposition. He wants to be the master of his own fate. He wants to be the captain of his own soul. But he's also presented to us as a person of resources, of resolve. I read a couple places where uh, the commentator said this, that it says in our text that he went down and he paid the fare uh, of a ship that was going to Tarshish. Uh, some commentators seem to think that, that uh, Jonah had enough money that he actually hired the entire boat. And he decided that the boat was going to make its journey toward Tarshish. Well, our text really doesn't support that. But what it does tell us is that Jonah is still presented as a man of means. You see, Jonah was a man of means, but God has other means. God has a way. God has the ability to bring things around. Not just in Jonah's life, but God has a way. God has the ability to bring things around in my life and in your life, in our lives. And once the storm hits, all bets are off. Now, instead of being in control, Jonah is out of control. And there is only one single power to deal with now. And it's God. But the next thing we see is this. He went down into the ship. And he was in contrast. Now verse 5 tells us that the storm was so intense 
that the sailors, that they themselves were afraid. Now, I've been in a few boats. I've been in some small boats, and I've been in some big boats. I've never been on a cruise, mind you. But I have been in some rough waters, and I want you to know when seasoned sailors are afraid, everybody should be afraid because this is serious. But Jonah, our text says, has lain down and was fast asleep. What a contrast. And then it says the mariners were so afraid that each of them called out to their God. They prayed. But Jonah has lain down and he is fast asleep. What a contrast. Jim Simbola said, when we don't pray, it's because we primarily don't sense our need of God. And then we come to this. And Jonah lay down and fell into a deep sleep, and he was incoherent. Jonah, the prophet of the one true God. Jonah, the prophet of Yahweh, the prophet of Jehovah, is sound asleep. He's oblivious to the seriousness of the situation. He is oblivious to what is taking place around him. Now, I don't think I need to tell you that this sort of sleep is often used in the Bible as an allegory, as a metaphor, as a symbol of spiritual deadness, of spiritual apathy. And when we find ourselves in that state, and when God wants to wake us, Sometimes God does that gently. But unfortunately, we're like somebody who said that sometimes we're like the skeptics who see the writing on the wall and claim it's a forgery. We do not hear or pay attention. Or we will not hear or pay attention. Or we hear, but we do not and will not listen. And at those times, God moves from being gentle to being assertive. And as God's actions intensifies in the Jonah story, the stress level in his life intensifies. And when God's actions intensify in our life story, our stress level intensifies along with it. And we see that in the storm as it gets more tempestuous and more tempestuous. And we notice what the sailors do. The sailors are so afraid, they pray, but not only that, they hurl the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. And I thought, boy, that puts a whole new spin 
on Hebrews chapter 12. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set out before us. You see, trouble, turbulence, or storm trouble strips us all down to the bare essentials and reveals a basic reality in our lives. You see, storms are not just bad weather. Storms expose us to what we cannot manage. Storms can be God's attempt to wake us out of our incoherence, out of our apathy, out of our spiritual deadness. But Jonah is fast asleep. He is incoherent. And then there's this. That sometimes in order to wake us, God is gentle. And when that doesn't work, he becomes assertive. And finally, when that doesn't work, God becomes aggressive. And finally, we read this, that he went down into the fish, into the sea, and he was incarcerated. Climbers. Anybody climbers? Climbers say... Climbers say that it's not the fall that gets you. It's the sudden stop at the bottom. That about do it. And the sudden stop at the bottom for Jonah is incarceration. What is the sudden stop at the bottom for us? What will the sudden stop at the bottom look like for us? Now, here's the bad news. There are times when God allows us to paint ourselves into a corner for the purpose and the hope of getting our attention. There are times that God allows us to paint ourselves in the corner. And there are times when God himself paints us into a corner to get our attention. That's the bad news. But here's the good news. Storms also expose us to the spirits hovering or brooding. There is a famous, well-known text in the Bible's account of creation. And it is the second verse in the Bible in Genesis chapter 2, verse 1, where it says this, And the earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. Another translation says that all things were in chaos. And the Spirit of God 
was hovering over the face of the waters. And that's where I want us to focus on for these next couple of moments. You see, in God's mercy, in God's grace, storms that threaten to destroy us, distract us. Whether they are God-created storms or whether they are our own creation can turn out to be a means of recovery. Running off to Tarshish can happen in our soul long before we physically head off to Joppa and board a ship to Gibraltar. Running from God isn't always geographical or physical. Sometimes we can run away without ever leaving our geographical location. And we can run away from God by filling our lives with activities and busyness and agendas and schedules And eventually, God gets squeezed out. But like Jonah, what we do not realize and we forget is this. We can run, but we can't hide. We can try and outrun the presence of God, but you can't hide. We can try and outrun the effect of the gospel, but we can't hide. And we can try and outrun the pursuit of the Holy Spirit in our lives and his conviction, but we can't hide. So how long? How long... Are we going to do that? How long are we going to run? We may be finished with God, but God is not finished with us. You may be finished with God, but God is not finished with you. The Spirit of God hovers. He broods. Last night, I spent the evening just getting my head into this morning and going through the message. And I went to sleep last night praying that the Spirit of God would hover over this service. I went to sleep asking God to brood over the balcony and to brood over the main floor and to brood over everyone that is watching online and to brood over those who will watch this on the archive in a few days, in a few weeks, in a few months. And I know he's brooding. He's hovering. 
And he's hovering over those today in this room and watching online and those watching on the archive in a couple of weeks. Because he knows that our decisions have already created chaos. And he also knows that some of the decisions we're making or not making is going to lead to chaos. And he hovers. And he broods. For all of those this week, the McDougals, and the McKenzies, and the Newberries, and the Milners, and the Cresswells, the Spirit of God broods over the chaos of your grief, your loss, and your pain. He hovers. He hovers. He broods. But for all of us, particularly today, those of us in the room, you're away from God, and nobody else knows it but you. You're making choices and decisions, and you're not making choices and decisions, and nobody else knows it. But the Spirit of God does. And he's hovering. Because he knows that you, some of us, are in a storm, and, and he knows that other of us are eventually going to be in that storm that's self-created. And he's hovering. And he's brooding. To turn it around for us. If we will wake up. If we will rouse from our sleep. And out of our apathy and out of our deadness. And come awake. I don't know who you are, but I know you are here. I don't know any names, and I so don't feel that I'm going to call you out, because I don't. But I know. And I think you know me well enough that I don't normally do this, but the Spirit of God is calling somebody and some people. And only you know who you are. And right now, there is a knot in your throat. Your heart is pumping. Your hands are sweating because you know the Spirit of God is brooding. He's hovering. So before we go any further, I'm going to invite the musicians to come, and I want to pray. So just close your eyes for a moment. Father, I sense the intensity of this moment. I sensed it last night. Father, I sense the, the importance, the urgency even. That you are calling, you are pursuing, you are hovering and you are brooding. And so I ask you again, Father, in the name of Jesus, that your Holy Spirit would continue to hover, would continue to brood. I pray that you would brood and hover over those that are grieving today. 
and that you would heal them. But I ask today that you would brood over this room. I pray that you would brood over our lives. And I pray that you would brood over hearts and souls in this moment. Brood, hover, and call us gently. If that doesn't work, assertively. And if that doesn't work, aggressively. And bring us alive and awake. And I ask this for Christ's sake and in his name. I want everybody to close their eyes. Keep your eyes closed. And I promise you now, I will not call you out. But all I'm going to ask you today is to respond by an uplift hand. Just by putting your hand in the air. There's something about acting. Of doing something that makes a difference. And so in the balcony with our eyes closed all around the balcony, if the Spirit of God is hovering and brooding over you right now and you know what it's about, would you lift your hand? Just lift your hand in honesty. Don't be, don't be ashamed. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. You can put them down. Now across the main floor, The Spirit of God is hovering. He is brooding over your heart and over your soul and over your life. Would you lift your hand? Would you lift your hand? Yes. 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 You can put them down. Father, you know every hand that was raised and you know every heart. Lord, now it's not business between the pastor and the pews. It's business now with God. And so, Father, I pray today for those that have raised their hands and those that should have raised their hands and didn't, that you will do business with them right now in their their seat. That you will do business with them, that you will pursue them. And, Father, if need be, that you will allow themselves to paint themselves into a corner or you paint them in a corner. Because what's at stake is so important and so crucial. And so, Father, I ask these things today in Christ's name and for his name's sake. Amen.